We are not heroes, nor are we villains. Neither kings nor magicians, but we can tell you their stories. We are the Lore Keepers, and we welcome you to Halloween. Welcome to Hellame. You are listening to Lore Keepers, a lore building podcast where we talk about eons of history, heroes and villains, and the legends they leave behind. I'm Frank. And I'm Carter. And whether you're interested in stories or looking for inspiration in your own world building, or perhaps you want a piece of our action, <laughs> gonna take that again. Uh, perhaps you want a piece of the action. Different. Uh, we've got something for you. So this week, uh, we're... We're, we're talking about the Velt, which we've brought up many, many, many times before. Um, but before we get into that, uh, how how are you, Carter? How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great, Frank. How are you? <laughs> um, I'm doing pretty good. Um, uh, my life is full of action right now. Uh, yeah, all that action. Know, yeah, just getting just just you know, piece of my action is uh, is really. Um. It's it's great to be me and get all that action. That's great, Frank. I'm so happy for you. Yeah, I just love sharing action with people. Just g- giving people peace of my action, Ooh. piece of our action, really. I'm you know, back. We're, we're in this together. I'm back. <clears throat> um, all right. What has actually been going on in your life, though? Um, I'm just you know writing my thesis. I've got to get full draft of it to my advisor in a week. That's about a thousand words per day, so I need to start cranking mm. it. Oh man, yeah, you're cranking it. Yep, really, just just cr- just cranking it every day, a ton. Yeah, I sit down on my PC and I just I just crank for hours. You gotta get that word count up. <laughs> you gotta hit that goal. <laughs> Carter cranks for hours at his PC. Yeah, um, it's twelve thousand word counts. A lot of words. You know that crank is a euphemism, right? I know. Okay. Cool. Yeah, man, you just got to keep at it. I guess big goal. Twelve thousand words. Throbbing. Hot damn. Yep. That's a long. That's a long essay. Really long. It's like forty pages. Jesus. Seriously. Yep. I, I believe it. I guess I've just. It's been a long time since I had to write. Uh, yeah, I've already got um, eighteen pages. Yeah, almost halfway there. Not yeah, bad. Just gotta keep going. Yep. Yeah, that's good, man. You know, you're you're close to the end of the semester, so. No, I'm not. <laughs> you're not. How how much longer do you have? Another month. Yeah, another month. That's still relatively close. We get old to be like me. Yeah, you know, twenty five a month is nothing. I sorry, sorry to tell you there, Frank, but like I'm gonna still be in school doing the. Oh wait, I'm doing that's now. right. Yeah, you're gonna be in school. Until you're like 30, basically. Uh, probably not then. Let's hope not then. Probably... 20, 28? 28, 27. Wow. Actually, fuck me. I'm going to be 23 year. this year, Frank. I'm getting old. Yeah, you are. You're entering your mid-20s. Oh, very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah, I need to like start smoking or something. Or at least it's the last year of your early 20s. I, I would say 24 is your mid-20s. 23 is your early 20s. Because then it's like 27 is your first year of your late 20s all right well to celebrate my 24th year i'm probably gonna buy a motorcycle yeah dude that's awesome i i i can strongly recommend it and especially if you live in a place where you can actually ride a motorcycle all year yeah it looks like it looks like i'll be in south carolina so yeah but i need to you know go to go to motorcycle school you know get the license see how i feel about it and then decide to risk my life you know daily it's as long as you're not stupid with it, you because you, 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 you knew I, I rode a motorcycle, right? Yeah. I remember yeah. you telling me about you were complaining about how it's great that you have a motorcycle, but sometimes you miss, you know, the car thing. Yeah. Well, you know, there's huge advantages to having a car. I do look forward to once again owning a, a motorcycle, but I bricked my last one 
because I did not know how to take care of that thing, which is kind of sad, but also I needed a real vehicle anyways. No, as long as you're safe, like, I never went out of the house without... The only one... The one piece of armor that I didn't wear was the pants. Um, I wore uh, the, the leather coat with the, like, yeah, with the with the plating. I had a helmet. I had gloves. I had... I even had a, um, uh, a pair of shoes that had, like, Kevlar pucks in the sides and kept your foot... Uh, they basically, like, made your ankle immobile uh, in a way that... But they were still street shoes. They were very, very cool. Uh, thick soles designed for being able to, like, take a lot of skid. Um, very flat. You should you should send me that stuff. I know. It's fucking... Dude, it's all leather, too. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, send me the fucking so links. You look, you look amazing in it. Like, I, I, I'm going to go, like, sporty Japanese. Like, oh, like a crotch rocket? Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, make it real sleek. And, uh, yeah, I want to pull off the look of, like, the real streamlined that thing yeah there's like inclined and reclined uh like uh seating positions i did the classic uh like isometric where you're like sit kind of like sitting straight up that's uh it's a very like 80s um sort of like flat back approach to a bike oh dude there's there's nothing like the feeling of, of riding a motorcycle cars it's just not the same thing like when you're on a motorcycle, it doesn't feel like you're driving a vehicle. It feels like you are the vehicle. Yeah, because you like you are, are the fucking, one who's traveling at eighty miles an yeah, hour. You've got your ass on a motor. Yeah, ba- I mean, yeah, it's literally like so. Like the thing is, is as long as you're not stupid, you pay attention to yourself more than anything else. Like what your current state is, and never like if you're sleepy or anything, you never get on a bike. Then yeah. um, always check ev- all of your systems and stuff before you get out on the road. Like you'll take care of yourself and you'll be okay. You might get into a, if you get into a crash, it could be bad, but at the very least, you'll only break bones. You'll never like break your neck. Yeah. And that's why you wear, that's why you wear the armor. That's why, yeah, it, it just became unbelievable to me after like, I, cause I went through a uh, one experience of like laying down my bike and I like got launched off of it at about 25 or 30 miles an hour saved by landing in a in on on a median Mm -hmm. and so and i only ended up rolling laterally like across my body you know like stop drop and roll kind of rolling but i was dude i was traveling so fast that i was i like after my first rotation i was launched up into the air like a good four or five feet and then landed back down again it was um fucking crazy uh anyways i survived that because of all the armor and then also because i mean i just got lucky and i ended up moving laterally instead of like forwards which probably would have broken bones ended up walking away without a sprain i worked the whole day that day i shouldn't have i had like pretty pretty bad bruising i imagine well and i also had post-traumatic stress like i literally got to my desk at work and then like my brain just like shut down and i couldn't think about anything else it was pretty harrowing anyways point is every day after that like just saying like seeing other people riding bikes without helmets or without jackets or without like even shoes or gloves like it's mad it's mad it was it just seemed like they i mean lack of exposure is maybe what i would say is like you only do something like that that dangerous because you don't realize how quickly it can go bad also fucking you're missing out on an opportunity to look cool as hell yeah that a part of it's it not is just, just you look fucking so rad and you're all in the <laughs> yeah, getup. Yeah, man. Riding a motorcycle is sexy. And the helmet. Like, the people go without the helmets. Oh, like, the helmet's yeah. the sexiest fucking part. Yeah, the helmets are super... Like, dude, I had a helmet that had, like, a, you could lower and raise the visor. Yep. It had a, uh, a built-in, like, sun visor that you could drop down. And it was, like, you could, like, lift up the entire thing. Basically, there's a front hinge where, like, you could expose the whole face. Uh, I never really rode with that around, but it was good for, like, if I needed to, like, pop it up at a stop and scratch my face or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyways, motorcycles are hashtag cool. Yep. So how you doing, doing, Frank? Um, I'm doing great. We should probably start the episode now. I think we used up all our time talking about motorcycles, which right. not not a problem for me. I, I'm okay with that. Well, luckily, we are today talking about Halloumian motorcycles, so we're on brand. Uh, is that so? The Velt, the Velt is a uh, Halloumian motorcycles, huh? Yeah. When you think about it, really, all halflings are just motorcycle enthusiasts. If you really think about it, now, I know this sounds crazy, but th- think about it this way: you know, your car is kind of like uh, a human, or maybe an elf that's twice the size, twice as much stuff going on, but uh, you know, really kind of unnecessary if you're trying to get where you're going you know where you're going you know and like so you couldn't have 
halflings, yeah, they're they're smaller, sleek, sexy. Okay. Mm, not really. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I never really had a thing for the whole Hobbit thing. You know, I could appreciate it. It's a little weird to me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, halflings are the Halumian motorcycle. So, Frank, would you like so me thanks for to, listening. <laughs> to start us off <laughs> on what I think the belt is and what's going on there? Yeah, yeah, quick preface here. So, in past episodes, we've talked about the Velt. Um, I'm just going to lay down like a couple of minutes of history here, and then we'll jump into it. The Ash Curse happens. For those of you who are new to the show, welcome. Uh, the Ash Curse, when we refer to it, it is simply the cataclysm that broke the world. It's uh, You think of it as an event like the meteor that knocked out all the dinosaurs and killed them all off and let mammals rise. Uh, you can also think of it as like the fall from, from Eden. It's kind of a mix of the two events. Changes life forever. Everybody is, suffers. Uh, and of the, the groups of beings that exist at the time, there are three. There are three species that you could call races in typical fantasy fashion. There's the humans, there's the fae, who become the elves, um, the ones that survive uh, down on the Materium, which is the material world. And there are the Dosumai. Um, the Dosumai are the progenitors for gnomes, dwarves, and halflings. We've kind of talked about the two other groups in the past. Um, we had a really pretty cool episode about uh, about the dwarves, um, episode 38, Soul Sheltered by Iron. You can go check that one out. Uh, we talk about where they get their metallic skin from. Carter has some really cool things to say about that one in that episode. Uh, we also talk about the gnomes quite a bit through history, so we're just going to kind of leave that limited. But if you're curious, you can check the podcast description. We'll have a few references there for what episodes to go back and listen to. Um, as for the halflings, we've... Carter and I kind of realized recently we'd never really put much thought to the halflings. I mean, did, I think I've you, never been... S- did you mention the elves? Did you mention... Uh, yeah, the yeah, yeah. The, the fae, which became the uh, which became the elves, yeah. And then we have the whole, you know, like, you know, aeons of history of the elves. Oh, shit. Yeah, you're right. Okay, yes. Also, there's also episodes that are really good about the elves. Um, I believe one of them is... Well, the elves play a pretty major part in episode 32, Tempest Refuge. I think they also was it Troubling Eyes? Did they also were they also in Troubling Eyes? I don't I don't I don't know your titles, man. Episode twenty six is also yeah because that deals with elven naming conventions and there so that go. was a pretty significant one. So yeah, there's actually a lot of really good episodes on the elves too. I just always forget that because Carter is our in house elven expert. Yep. But neither of us are really pay that much attention to the halflings. Um, I did create some lore for like where they came from and stuff, but it's very much a skeletal framework. So we're looking to kind of build on that today. So here's basically what happens. The ash curse happens. The oceans dry up. It's all very bad. Uh, the Everything exists under a baking, uh, unyielding sun. Uh, it's painful. Life sucks. Um, the humans are dealing with it by becoming cattle to the elves, which are rapidly approaching vampirism, which, uh, again, just check podcast descriptions. we got episodes about all that stuff. The dwarves are hiding underground. The gnomes are exploring na- the nature of crystal. But the halflings were the a remnant of the Dosumai who were led by an angel, because angels were a thing, and kind of have always been a thing, that had stuck around after the Ash Curse, like they had survived the blast. And at the time, angels were like kind of emissaries of the heavens. They were the presence of the the, the, the gods of that place in the world. So yeah, I'll just lay it out as a skeletal and we can fill in the meat later. But um, one of the things is it, is it is rumored at some point that there is a place that is still green because everything else is brown and orange and dry and cracked and broken and dead but there's a supposedly echoes you know on the wind arrive and and enter into the ears of this this angel who is leading a portion of the dosumai and after kind of like a falling out or maybe a disagreement with the other angels who are leading the other groups of dosumai they say we are going to go see if we can't find this green place and they do they successfully find it so after traveling for a long time, they finally discover this valley. This is important not just because it helps people survive, literally like, you know, nourishment, like food, um, but also it helps them survive uh, spiritually and like um, metaphysically because magic is a soul energy. So without it, um, 
people become like bestial. They become virtue adjacent, like, you know, kind of outside of that picture. They, they do not think of things in, in like a sense of morality. They're simply impulsive creatures. So magic gives people this morality. Uh, and within the Velt, the reason why all that stuff is living is because it's tapping into some remnant of magical power. Or maybe it's vice versa. Maybe it's that the greenness is actually somehow giving off magical energy because there's this intrinsic relationship between living things and magic, right? So they discover this uh, valley known as the Velt. The halflings, or the Dosumai that become the halflings, over the years acquire this split approach to lifestyles. And here's why. On the one hand, they become pastoral because they're like, well, we have this goodness, and within the first, like, maybe couple centuries, they're, they're starting to consume maybe more than they can produce as far as the uh, as, as the Velt goes, despite its size. And it is completely hidden. That's part of it. It's, like it's, it's almost completely hidden from the world around. And so they're like, well, we have to protect this. This might be the last source of magic on the Earth, or on, on Sadar, but they also need to provide for themselves. So they become pastoral. They become kind of, you think, your typical hobbits and simultaneously become hyper-aggressive, hyper, uh, or maybe defensive, but, like, defensive in the in the sense that, like, if you get even, you know, 10 miles within the valleys that eventually lead to the Velt, you will be killed on sight. It's like a, you know, a death, a, a death valley where nobody ever leaves if they enter because um and and nobody knows why they just know that like nigh on feral halflings are in there and they're killing anybody who gets you know they just maybe treated as territorial and at the time everybody else is almost that same way so like they just assume it's kind of same all over yeah the halflings become hyper protective and very pastoral simultaneously which then kind of changes their nature for the rest of time now, eventually, Avum Tertius happens. Uh, so Avum just means kind of like a period of time. Magic returns in full force. And the Velt, I think, maybe just kind of gets eaten up by the world around it. Uh, or not, it just becomes less, it, it, it no longer becomes distinct, you know, because what was once virulent for them was just somehow special enough that it preserved life as it was. I don't think it'd be, you know, it's kind of like a lost Garden of Eden, you could say. Um, but yeah, that's the that's kind of like the the loose overarching stuff for how the halflings came to be, what the Velt was. It's a good skeletal framework, but I feel like we can definitely build on it. Yeah, so uh, do you remember our talks about the origin of the Velt and how it came about? Uh, remind me, I, I don't remember. Um, we talked about this in, I think, already in a podcast... I believe it was in the episode we did on Gaia. Wow, that's back in the day. Man, that's a that's a poll. That's from a year ago. I yeah. think that's um I believe Gaia was the episode one. eleven? I no, believe... is that is episode eleven to No, okay, we talked about Gaia in episode eleven. Episode eleven's actually about um Najani, which is the sky yeah, basically the, the god of the sky. But uh yes, Gaia we do talk about in that episode. Yeah, but basically, I think Gaia's, like, body becomes Velt. Okay, that's right. There's, like, a Gaia sacrifices themselves and becomes, yeah, basically, like, pr- creates a provision when when the Ash Curse happens. Okay. All right, so that would then, you know, there's some, that's actually kind of cool. So then the ground itself has, like, sort of this sustaining life force of a of a nascent god. Yes. Or okay. A dead one. Yeah. But in any case, another thing I want to answer, and I have some ideas on this, that's st- that also include Gaia, is that mm-hmm. you say that you know there are these rumors that some place was green. How did the, the, these rumors come about? Yeah. Why did the halflings listen to them? Mm-hmm. And how did they find their way there? Well, I think that the 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 Dosumai at the time who became the halflings. Yes. I I don't know if they were listening to the echoes as much as it was the angel that was listening to the echoes and they were listening to the angel. But this is a really good question and also like maybe it wasn't that. Maybe the halflings, the Dosumai are actually the ones who heard the echoes and left the angel or something. You know, maybe they were the ones who said because I know I'm a little rusty on this, uh, but we did talk about this in episode 38 somewhat that the, there was like um, detractors or people who were not going with the plan as the uh, the angel set up 
for Talking about the, the separation between the, the Dosamai of the gnomes, the dwarves. And yeah, because I, I, I know that we talked about a disagreement between two, uh, at least two of the group, either angels or two of the groupings of angels, that basically some said, no, we have to do it this way, and others said, no, we have to do it this way. Um, and that caused the division, I don't remember what the proper word is for that, but like the division that became the way that the gnomes approached magic versus the way that the dwarves approached magic. Yes, that is how it happened. And I think... We didn't really throw the halflings in, but I think if we did, they were with the gnomes. They had yet to okay. separate. So do you think you think it was like the first split was like dwarves and gnomes, and then the second split was gnomes and halflings? Yes, and I, I think that gnomes and halflings are closer related than the than the you're right those two and dwarves either because dwarves are the only ones that are medium, right? They're the only ones yeah. that are actually the size of a person, though. A bit yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think. And I think dwarves became that through the stuff that was enacted on them. And I don't want to spoil too much because I think you should just check out episode 38 because it's yes. a really good episode. But, um, yeah, I mean, should we play, like, the physiology card here a little bit? I'm, I am curious because, you know, the way that halflings are uh, are portrayed are just, like, short humans. You know, they share all the same traits that humans have. They're just shorter. Um, whereas gnomes have a strangeness to them that is maybe more akin to the elves but not necessarily, like elven of its nature the just the elongated ears the the eyes are different the the faces are a little more pointed yes and i think that that stuff comes from heavy experimentation with magic at least that's how we kind of talked about in, in episode 38 yeah it's like they're almost like they had these elven like features because they're incredible exposure to magic like we were talking to like we're right talking so maybe the dosumai that left before all that experimentation happened are the ones that are maybe physically the closest to what they actually looked like at the beginning yeah and it makes sense given humans also that that yeah you know what like because then the early dosumai because i've never really had a picture of what they looked like in my mind i like the idea that the dosumai were basically like stouter stockier humans that could survive at the core yep maybe the dosumai holy shit maybe the dosumai were always just humans that like own sent down there in the first place like, maybe they just grew to be the Dosumai over time because their environment would be more accommodating to them if they, like, morphed their features to be that way. Maybe. That sounds cool. I mean, I'm not going to necessarily say that, but I do think it's interesting. Because I never really had an origin point for the Dosumai. I just treated them as, like, appointed caretakers of the world's center. Yes. Anyways, okay, so we've got the halflings. They separate off from the gnomes before the gnomes get freaky with magic. And... I do like the idea of almost, like, maybe that's where some of the ideas of, like, halfling pride and pastoral nature come from, is, like, they see themselves as sort of an unbroken line. Like, they see themselves as being able to trace their roots all the way back to the original Dosumai. You know, family's really important to halflings. Uh, the idea of community is very important. And these are sort of the same values that you could see... Um, you know, a pseudo-enlightenment society picking up as saying, like, oh, we're we're holding to what the great people used to be. Like, this is the way that society has always meant to be. We're a pure manifestation of that, so of course we should reflect our culture the same way that our physiology reflects that nature. Yes. As to how the gnomes and the halflings diverged. Yeah. I think Gaia called out... To those who are the most, God, what's the word? The most stewardess, if you will. Oh yeah, dude. There's probably of the angels that survived. It probably wasn't just like three. There's probably maybe we could say as many as like a dozen or maybe two dozen uh, that didn't stick around for long. But I can totally imagine a couple of them being from like house caretaker or house something provisional. Because fucking, they're supposed to be there at the center of the world to take care of the world. Yes. As Dosu, you know, like, looking after the Dosumai. Yes, and, the, right, the angels with the gnomes were like, look, you know, we don't know if we can trust this, we don't know what's really going on, we should stay and do this thing with these, and then the other was like, no, like, we need to take this chance, that kind of thing. We're running yeah, out of time. Especially because some, some of those, uh, some of that group uh, that would become the gnomes and the angels that you know, watched over them, were like, we don't hear the voices. Like, we don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. And 
what if this is a trick? What if this is something like we don't know anything about the way the world is now? You're going on information that could very well lead you to your death because the world has completely changed post Ashkurs. Yes. And so the ones that left, right, along with these angels, mm-hmm. became the halflings. And they yeah. managed to get to the Velt through the guidance of Gaia. I like that. Visions and stuff. Yes. As, her, her dying breath. Yeah, like her dying. She kind of, as she was dying, she's like passing away. She's like sending out these last like hopes to them. And when, and when they get there, right, when they find the Velt, I think the angels have tried to protect the halflings as much as they can, or the, the, those that will become the halflings. And they're mm-hmm. like weakened, and basically they do like a final hurrah where it's like, we will bless oh the last we we will use the last of our power to bless you all so you may right have the luck to continue oh i like that and okay this powerful enchantment that the angels cast that was enhanced by gaia herself is the source of halfling luck if 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 i may add on to that yes maybe there's a couple of angel leaders and they get to Gaia. There's nothing more we can do for you. Our job is to take you to this place. We can feel our light fading. Yes. Or, you know, our souls fading. Like, one of them. And so, like, we can get this narrative in of, or this, like, this uh, story of the gifts bestowed to the halflings by the by the angels. And, you know, maybe over time this gets reinterpreted as, like, three gods or, you know, whatever, something like that. Or however however many are relevant. But one of them is... One of them blesses them with luck and good fortune. Another blesses them by protecting the land and gives them illusions. And so, like, literally, it's it's still their job that they have to protect it. But, like, almost like, you know, the angel at the gate of Eden, you know, they, they step out and morph and screw with the land in a way where, like, anybody who tries to get in will probably just get lost in valleys and stuff because of illusions and, you know, double back on themselves. I have an idea about the last one. Yeah, well, I mean, there might be more than three, but, uh, yeah, like, I'm, I'm just kind of saying, like, as we go, but, yeah, do you have a third one? I think, I think, let's do, let's do three. Unless you have a really good, good idea. Number. And I yeah. think the last one is basically, like, the, the wisest of the angels comes and says, now you have luck, right? Mm-hmm. So, so all things will go your way, and now you have, right, protection, so none may waylay you, and this land is will forever be yours, but now I give you the bravery to always do what is right. Oh, yes, this is so good. Oh, the illusions, the, the luck, and the bravery are all very, like, halfling things, you know? They're all very much about, like, you've got the, the, the halflings that kind of, like, hide and uh, play tricks, and, you know, they're not traditional. Um, you've got the ones who are always destined to leave the home and do the Frodo thing. And you've yeah. got the ones who, you know, are just, they always win a game of cards or the, the dice just happen to roll their way. That's very good. I like that. That's the three gifts. Yeah. The three angelic gifts, uh, bravery, luck, and, and, uh, tricks. Yes. That's a really good origin story. Okay. I wanted to add on to something about Gaia though. Cause I, I really like this idea. Uh, cause I was like, well, when is this happening? How is this working? So we know that the Dosumai at the time of the Ash Curse, first of all, the Ash Curse was, it was an event, but it was also a period of time. So we've talked about this before, but um, the space between one Avum and another is almost, I don't think there's a single situation where it's like an event that happened. You know, we have the the year of, you know, Jesus's birth as, or common era has, you know, become that uh, as like the point at which you know, BC becomes CE or AD. In the same in in Helame, though, it's like never that situation. There's always a transitory period. So the Ash Curse was, I believe, uh, a little over 100 years, where the and it was basically the time that the ash blocked out the sun. Like you know, there was there was just darkness over the land. So Gaia didn't die immediately. It was a slow death that was over, like, you know, the loss of vegetation, the loss of animals. I mean, it was a pretty big hit at first, obviously, from the explosive nature and the volcanoes and all of that. But, like, as the life force kind of bled out and less and less uh, 
um, soul energy was around to kind of transfer from creature to creature as, as things lived and died, their energies weakened. And at the same time, the Dosumai had been traveling towards the surface to see what was going on. And so sometime in there, as like the as some of them are trying to figure out what to do with the dwarves and stuff like that, that's when they f- hear the first echoes. So I don't know if this screws with our um, timeline at all, but like maybe the Dosumai are actually, or the halflings are the first Dosumai to leave. Because I don't know, I mean, I, I don't know if it actually matters, but um, I can't remember whether like the, the dwarves kind of came about at some early to midpoint in Avum Secunda or whether it was like a very early event. Uh, and I, I don't think it's super important. Yeah. Whatever the case is, I like the idea that these, these like dying breaths of Gaia is them sending out their consciousness as dreams to the beings that had been its caretaker at its heart for the longest time and was and and are like tend to me i i am dying and you know you are the chosen ones who must like keep this world alive yes so yeah i like the idea of that happening like as they're dying i is 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 gaia feminine i don't think that they are i think that both najani and gaia are androgynous i'll check gaia is yes is androgynous i believe Najani is is actually masculine, so yeah. Signum, Signum is uh, is feminine. That's yes. why. That's what it is. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty solid base. Where do you want to go from there? Okay, so whenever I picture halflings, I always picture them as like we were saying, very insular culturally, and right, they have their own language. They don't really teach it to others too much. Mm-hmm. And they're super, they're super like oral traditionalists. They don't write stuff down. Yeah. They have huge family trees to the point where one of the mechas is actually basically just a giant halfling family. Yeah, Which and we they, can actually touch on that later because I think that it has connections to here. But and I really like this idea that you know it has its roots in Tolkien, where it's like halflings love talking about their family history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's you know they all call each other basically like cousin because they basically are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, families of, like, hundreds of individuals that all live in the same giant, I don't even know what you call it, like, a, basically a resort. Yeah, it's a basically, um, it's like, like a, a village Tolkien, that's... it's Brandy Hall, just this yeah. giant fucking hill that's just completely hollowed out with a bunch of rooms. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of rooms, yeah. Which is kind of a cool picture, like, I wish... It is. I, like, we should do something with that. I love the idea of, like, a family of hundreds of people living in the same fucking super mansion okay. that's like nine or ten anyways yeah so here's a question for you is the velt still around hmm well i'll say definitively that the place that the velt occupied is still around is the velt still around i don't know maybe not i'm 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 gonna lean towards no yeah yeah but i think that the place where it was right that's absolutely chock full of halflings it's yeah, it's definitely going to be like some sort of sacred ground for them or something whether they know it or not. I will tell you right now, it is not where the Mecca is located. The yes. Mecca that has to do with the halflings is actually in a different location. I kind of suspect that the halflings who currently live in what was the Velt, they m- might not even be aware of the fact that it was the Velt. Yeah, but it could be this like holdover where it's like, yeah, a lot of halflings like moved out and went, you know, went all over the place. These halflings that stayed are like, yeah, we don't even, like, talk to non-halflings. Like, when they show up, they're just, like, greeted with, okay. like, like, who are you? What are you doing here? You shouldn't be here. Completely shut, shutting them out. Yeah. exactly. You know what? I have an idea. Um, or a couple of thoughts here. One, um, the illusion magic that held it is maybe gone. It's probably mm-hmm. still difficult to get there, but that illusion magic didn't last forever for whatever reason. Probably just because, you know, angels have limited power. Yes. Even if it lasts them, uh, you know, a millennia or something, it's eventually going to run out. Secondly, when the world came, like when, as we talk about it, the first echo, the culminant thread, you know, when magic came back, I think Gaia reawakened or was reborn. I don't know, like kind of depends on our interpretation of how we want to do that. We can always approach that some other time, but I think that it kind of came back awake because it is like the manifest presence of the nascent magical energy that is flowing through all souls, maybe of just vegetation and maybe also animals, but at least those two, and potentially even like 
accumulation of a low level of sentience that is derived from all, you know, living, you know, breathing entities. Oh, yeah, it's so, kind of like associated with the tide pools. So like Gaia is the equivalent of the racial tide pools for animals and plants. Oh, I never thought about it that way, but that's kind of cool. Yeah, maybe. I mean, uh, it's like a super tide pool, maybe because we could say plants are less distinct in that they might have an intent or a will, but they don't necessarily have like a consciousness and then animals less so because they don't have, uh, you know, less than than the knowing because they don't have like a proper soul. But as a result, there are smaller tide pools kind of within this larger super tide pool that is Gaia. Yeah, I kind of like that. I like that idea. I mean, yeah. it makes sense, too. It's that corresponding like relationship that we're trying to draw on when it comes to druidic stuff. So magic does play a role in the life of animals and plants, right? Or is it purely an anima thing? Yes. I mean... I don't think that an animal could ever harness the power of magic. Maybe they could, but it would be an extremely rare circumstance because the necessary requirement would be a soul that could then interact with other things, right? Like, it has to start with that, though. Even if an animal was really, really smart and was able to talk and all that stuff, I think that lacking that soul, it wouldn't be able to. But, nevertheless, I think that animals... Well, okay, no, you're you're drawing an important question here because we have previously pointed out that there's a difference between magic and anima. And anima is the motivating will or instinct uh, that flows through soulless things. I mean, we literally talked about that last episode. Yeah, I'm okay with having, like, magic be, like, um, a kind of fertilizer... Let's take the let's take the gnomish approach on it. I mean, the gnomes discovered that the power of magic did not come from batteries, like using crystals as batteries. They came from the fractal networks of the associations between them, right? So, like, you could collect magic if you planted a field of crystals, but it wasn't the crystals themselves that were the thing that was collecting the magic. It was the space in between the crystals that was arrayed in, like, a specific way, right? Yes. Maybe the presence of Gaia is not the living magical energy that is within creatures what it is is it is um it is it is the magic that connects creatures so like the associations everything from predator to prey uh sunlight and nourishment to like the animal that eats it like it's it's the it's the ecosystem you know it's the it's the intangible connections in between them so the magic connects the anima together sort of Yes, but I like. I think we need to think of Gaia as different than, from the other gods, namely because they are tied to Star in an important way. So I think maybe there's something to be said about them being, in some part, anima. Interesting, huh? So they that would you know what that does explain that Gaia doesn't really have, like, a motivation in the same way that a lot of the other gods have, like, goals or plans. Gaia has a will. And it's really, I mean, it makes sense because it's reflective of that animistic nature, right? It's almost like the Plato's form of animal instinct. And so that would make sense that it was, it's sort of like this conscious being, or maybe, but not self-conscious, you know, like it, it has an intense will that is capable of doing an incredibly powerful thing, but it doesn't really have like a, you know, capability to plan or choose. Yeah. So like the fact it's it's deity, it being categorized as a deity is definitely like worth a sage questioning. Like, I think that's why I, I mean, I, not like I could have ever foreseen this, but I think that that's why I kind of like put them in the same categories like Najani and also Signum as being like beings or deities that were present on the other side of the veil, you know, in, in the Materium, as like they had a different nature. They had to have a different nature. Yes. Yeah. So God of Anima. That's interesting. That's basically what they are. Yeah, though I think that there's something there's something to be said that they do they are a magical being, but I think anima has an important role to play. Yeah. I mean maybe they're like the purveyor of it. Maybe. So yeah, so we got we got a little bit off track, but I think as far as something else I wanted to bring to the table with its relation to the Velt that I'd previously forgotten about, but like is definitely an important piece, is that um this is also where 
And this is not something we really talk about that much as far as classes go. This is where the druids are born as a as as the protectors of nature and the caretakers. There's never a time that is more important. They don't. I think what I'd like and I think is what's what would be cool is to draw a clear distinction between the way that druids were during the time of the Velt uh, and during Avum Secunda and afterwards because their role was very, very different. But I do think that there is like opportunity for, for both there. And I'd be curious to kind of see, you know, how that plays into what we just have figured out about Gaia. I like the idea that the Veld is the birth of Druids. I like the idea that halflings have this interesting association with Druids. That's cool, because that's new. Yeah, it's yeah. It's usually something that we attribute to elves. Elves with the Illuvium, or I mean, the Feywild in, in other worlds, you know, they typically are like, oh, they're the nature people. Yeah. But Not I mean, that the elves don't have a claim to nature. They got vampirism. They're good. But their world is a different one, you know. They, they're, they're, they're the Elysium is a totally different place. It's a world of dreams and and madness and dance. It's not a it's not a world of nature necessarily. Yes. So I like this, and I think that nature magic, right? The idea of like that rangers <laughs> and druids draw on. I like the idea of that being connected to Gaia in a weird way, and not really connected to anything else yeah but of course gaia draws it from the nine flow of course yeah and gaia is a is is the presence of um peace uh that's their main domain i think that's their sole domain actually they or their domains are death and life but but it is worth yeah pointing out like that doesn't mean that a person needs to be drawing specifically from peace in order to access gaia's guy's pool yeah but yes but that is an association so I think it is cool, though. I like the idea that um, rangers are actually... This is also maybe where rangers come from. Now, when I was thinking about saying that before, I was like, ah, but there's nothing interesting about rangers. Why bring that up? And then that made me realize, like, I think it would be really cool to do a set of episodes or add this to kind of its own mill of doing our own versions of like why these classes would be significant in the world of Halime. Rangers are never really anything beyond just like fighters with animal companions that sometimes cast magic or, you know, they're Aragorn or I mean, they're, I could tell know, you a little story about halflings and rangers. <laughs> you could tell me a long story about halflings and a ranger nice like i guess what i'm saying is it's not that they're not interesting or whatever i'm just saying there's not like a clear distinctive character to them like for instance in well they're the sorcery you know the sorcerers of halame are glossolales you know the wizards are they're they're unique because they have like you know we've explored the way that their spell books work and how different that is you know the fact that uh paladins and clerics, they have associations with all sorts of different gods. And you know, we, we haven't done do, anything for rangers. Do, also monks and we barbarians. Need, yeah, we need to do an episode, though, on like, clerical magic. I think that'll be, that would be cool. That would yeah, be cool. and also how that works. Because I've been kind of thinking about that. And uh, yeah, it'd be interesting. It'd be worth it to like break that down in, in Hellumian terms. But I think it'd be worth it for like all these different classes. So we I should agree. definitely like take an approach. And I mean, it'd be really cool to... like you know, walk out of an episode with, like, a gist of what a path of the, or whatever the subtype of it is that would be unique to Halume, or at least the first one that's unique to Halume. Because that'd be really fun content to create. But anyways, as far as it relates to druids and rangers, I think that, you know, you could say the birth of the tradition of rangers, which will one day in a future episode become a storied history that is very important to Halume about, like, kind of protecting the borders of things or whatever... Yeah, it starts with these L or these halflings who are protecting the edges of the Velt. Yes, and like with keen eyes, and the druids are the ones who are. I mean, are they just tending to Gaia's dead spirit? Are they just like looking after the animals? What is what is I the think... thing going on there? And how do they discover wild shape? How do they discover the ability to turn into animals? I so I'd be really curious about that stuff. So I think. Gaia might guide them through that, but they're definitely mainly caretakers of life. That's their thing, where it's like, where everything else is dead, we must take care of the life we have. I like that. That makes sense to me. And uh, as for the wild shape stuff, yeah, that's like, you know, dreams and vision stuff. Come on. 
druids, when it first begins, druids, they're about the cultivation and tending to the life half of Gaia's domains. The rangers are all about death. Protect the life by enforcing death. Yep. Now, now later, this gets more muddied, I think, in even within the, the Velt community, like long before Avum Tertius shows up. I think this is in the early years when they realize, well, no, being a druid is actually also a lot about death, too, because death is just as much a part of life as vice versa. Um, and I'd be curious to see how if like rangers ever have a, a heel turn as well. So I think that there are, you know, divisions and things. And but I don't know if it'd be different druidic circles as much as it would just be like different teachers, you know, different arch druids who are. Uh, kind of proselytizing different aspects of Gaia's presence. Yeah, but I think that leads to different circles, right? Circles are formed by these these leaders, these arch druids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I would agree. I think it's interesting, it's, it's worth pointing out, or at least um, thinking about the fact that we have a rare situation here where, I mean, it's rare for a lot of reasons, but one of the things that makes it singular uh, during Avum Secunda is that during this time, as previously mentioned, the uh, angels are the protectors, right? And if the angels aren't around, then there's... Everybody's looking to somebody else. This is because fr- the time from before was very hierarchical in that you had somebody above you who is either a more spiritually present being or whatever that was meant to link you vertically. Like, everything was a lot more awake vertically than it is after Avum Secunda. You know, the gods are talking to the mortals and vice versa, and they've got all sorts of emissaries up and down the ladder. So afterwards, like, they try and continue this or at least have to react to that idea. Like, what do we do without our guides? You know, the humans look to the to the elves. The elves become vampires and, and like, kind of fuck with the humans. The angels are taking care of the... The Dosumai who become the dwarves, they're also taking care of the Dosumai that become gnomes, but they're different groups. But the halflings... So aside from the people who either run away from the elves in their blood empire, or, you know, other situations where there's, like, you know, this dying out, they're on their own super early. Like, pretty much from the moment that they get to the Velt, the, uh, the three angels bless them and dissipate and are no longer there to tell them how to live, you know, kind of almost maybe trusting that Gaia will help guide them or something. Mm -hmm. But it's really, like, how they live their lives is much more up to them than in any other of these situations of race or culture. I don't know. I think there's something interesting there. I don't know how we play with that. It is. And I think there's this, like, it's the idea of the halfling independence, where it's like, look, we're halflings. We're going to do our own stuff. Like, don't worry about us. You do your own thing. Yeah. It's, it's like a communal independence. You exactly. Know, like, it, it's, it's we are halflings. We are halflings. It's not like, oh, I'm a, a halfling and I'm going to do my own stuff. It's yes, we. we are halflings. Yes, that's very good. I mean, it's, all, it's, it's like the closest thing to like a gerontocracy that you'd really get in, in Helame. Well, probably not because there's probably straight up gerontocracies. But like the idea that the eldest rule because they're the ones who understand. But it's still like a family council approach. You know, it's still like... You know, oh, well, you shouldn't do that because I'm the matriarch and, you know, that's a really bad idea. I've seen people make mistakes before, but like you can still spurn that. It's not necessarily like there's laws. There's just kind of the rule of the of the of the of the community. Yes. I mean, they probably didn't have money even It because it's not like they had a lot of chance to grow the size of their community beyond the edges of their belt. You know, it was stuck to this very specific size. Which means then that they probably didn't have capital of any sort. At most, there was bartering, but it was probably just like people having to take care of like and think of the needs of everyone else. You know, you very much have that situation that we talked about forever ago about the god of fates and like the idea of taking your fate from one person, you know, benefiting yourself. You know, you eat chicken for the night. That means somebody else doesn't. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So the druids are doing that. They're probably Gaia is teaching them how to wild shape. Let's I, let's jump forward. Okay. Or, yeah, you go ahead. You you. It sounds like yeah. I just I just really like the idea that the teachings of the druids came from Gaia themselves. I think it's, it yeah. makes a lot of sense too. Yes. You know, like if you think about the way that literally like the druidic stuff is supposed to happen is like you learn from your environment. You let nature teach you the way of things. Yes. It's like green magic in uh, Magic Gathering. Yeah. So, okay. So then, let's see. 
I was going to say, what 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 happens when we jump forward to Avum Tertius? Does anything interesting happen there? I mean, do they just get swallowed up by greenery? Maybe the greenery starts growing out beyond the edges of the veldt? That's that's when Drew, Druidism begins to spread, where it's like, okay, like we now have a greater calling, which is to take care of all life everywhere. And I can't imagine that this wouldn't create some large amount of contention among the community, because there's probably people who are feel really divided on that. Because we're talking like 20-some thousand years in the future, you know, or however long yes. uh, Avum Secunda lasts. Like, if this is literally tens of thousands of years that by this time, there's no way that, like, people remember everything perfectly, even in oral tradition. Like, the very nature of a, a nature of a halfling tale is that it's kind of, like, morphed in stuff as it goes, but that's what gives it the life, you know? That's, like, what makes it a living history. It doesn't mean that it loses its kernel of truth. It's just that it changes its form. So I can't imagine that, like, people would... I, I mean, they built up so much tradition by the time that Avum Tertius shows up. The idea that the greenery is spreading out and away from the Velt. Let me actually, let me ask you. Do you think, how come that didn't happen earlier? Like, was it just the, like, forbidding environment around it? Like, how come the Velt, it never grew past the Velt with all these tenders and caretakers? How come it was only ever maintained? Because I think it was. Like, I don't think it ever grew beyond that point. At least not before Avum Tertius. How come it didn't happen? Is the answer, is the yeah, question? like how come it didn't didn't go beyond the edges of the valley? I think they tried to to spread it early on, but mm-hmm. I think it's just. Do you know about dirt, my friend? Uh, <laughs> it's a pretty broad question, so I'm just gonna assume no, I don't. So dirt, teach me. So earth dirt is actually incredibly complicated. In dirt is, you know, a very rich amount of nutrients, minerals, and bacteria that help support plant life. Okay, oh yeah, that's right. There's, I remember learning there's like a triangle of like silt, loam, and something else, or something like that. Clay it's like, or something, yeah. Yeah, based on its composition, and that like even a thousand feet from the same spot, you can have dirt that's very different. Like it changes rapidly based on its environment. Microclimates. Yeah, but the important thing here is that the kind of hellish blasting of the of Sadar's surface caused, I think, like a great dying out of these important things and a drying out of, you know, all this stuff. So basically, mm. the Veldt is the only place that has this dirt. Yeah, okay, yeah, because everything else is like cracked and dry ground. Um, and it's, that's not to say, I think that people are still able to cultivate stuff elsewhere, but it's like the kind of shit that you'd grow in a desert that's like awful to eat and it's almost tasteless and it's like got enough carbs for you to stay alive, but only on like a, you know, maintenance diet kind of situation. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, of It's not like fruit and vegetables. It's like Mordor. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Mordor. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good reference point. Sam was really surprised when he's looking around Mordor and he's like, oh crap, things grow here? It's like, yeah, hmm. it's just giant thorns. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, okay, then that makes sense. So, so like, we, we have a situation where Gaia, in sort of a reverse seed-like way, instead of spreading out from somewhere, it gets closer and closer in as everything is dying out around it. And you can almost maybe personify it as, like, the ash takes on this malevolent form. You know, maybe all these magics, they don't just sit around. Like, obviously, well, I mean, just even to reference Somanoxus, and to point out the fact that, like, that stuff very much was awake and alive. And, you know, if it's uh, maleficent uh, or malevolent, not maleficent, if it's malevolent, then it could be literally not just, yeah, like salting the earth, basically, like as it goes. Like, yes. not only is it encroaching and closing around this Gaia space, but it's also like salting the earth as it goes. Maybe Gaia was close to death, not just like close to death but like maybe they found the veldt before the ash cleared from the sky you know like maybe they like like it was it was if the angels hadn't been in there to st- step in and like help protect it and sacrifice themselves and also you know maybe they created like a special special pillar of atmosphere or something around it that went straight up and like got sunlight then the veldt would have completely disappeared and Di- gaia would have just been gone for good maybe but just a quick aside yeah, for those in the audience who might be thinking, like, oh, ash, you know, volcanic ash is great for, you know, soil. It's like, 
Yeah, well, this is, like, different. This is different stuff. We're talking also, we're talking about, like, the, like, thinning of the atmosphere so as to have, like, super ultraviolet radiation that just, like, destroys life. Right, well, and we're also talking about a situation with volcanic winter. Like, yes, yes ash is very fertile and stuff, but if the, if the plants don't get sunlight, and that's true for a hundred years, then nothing's going to survive. Uh, the dinosaurs, I think that stuff only blackened out the sky for what? Like, was it like 10, 20 years or something like that? I don't pretend to know. Uh, I think... In any case... Show us up. Tell us us what the actual time was. I think it's somewhere between 5 and 20 years. This is also pseudoscientific magic bullshit, so... Yeah, I know. First of all, it's pseudoscientific magic bullshit. Secondly, it's long enough for Gaia to have almost died out, but if not for the intervention of... You know, the harsh sunlight that came through because the atmosphere was pushed, you know, like the uh, the clouds were pushed aside for this one yeah. specific valley. But in the end, right, it's because of this, like, difference in soil and all this stuff that the, the plants couldn't spread. And then once we see the return of the seas, the return of the rain with the magic, all this stuff, that's when we see the reseeding of Sadar with, with plants and animals. And that is when Gaia returns however they do and that's when the mm-hmm. druids go though i'm uh, you know one of the circles remains of course maybe more than one mm-hmm. so yeah at first it would have just been like rough oceans uh against unyielding like rocks and stuff like that but then over time when like the environment is actually capable of accommodating you know the atmosphere returns to a greater extent too you know, there's less harsh sunlight uh, that's just baking the earth and it becomes a more forgiving temperature. That's when, like, plant matter and stuff can actually push outwards beyond the edge of the veld. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And obviously, contention around some of the druids were like, no, we never leave this spot. And others were like, it's our... Yeah, it may have been true for so long, but, like, now is the chance. And they're like, what are you talking about? Our tradition has been this way for 10,000 years. And they're like, yeah, but I want to go out and see the rest of the world. There's probably some sort of schism. That was the word I was looking for like an hour ago. But we should probably wrap this up. Was there was there something that you wanted to come back to? Um, was there, is there anything that you want to talk about now, like that we kind of went past before? No. The thing I want to come back to is the thing we're going to give to the listeners, so we can do that then. Oh, okay then. Um, as for me... Hmm... I don't think there was anything in particular, though I am very curious about the stories of the first druids interacting with the other nations, people being like, what the hell are you? Like, you're a short human, but you're not, you know, you don't speak our language or whatever. Let me tell you the good word about, you know, the dank herb. Yeah, yeah. Can I tell you about the Velt? It's so green, you guys. You wouldn't even believe it. Oh, it's so great. They definitely smoked weed, for sure. Like, there's no way that, that weed was not in the Velt. Halflings are known for pipe weed and normal weed. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, we we can call we can call it there. Alright, well. We hope you've enjoyed this exploration into the lands of Sadar and the realms beyond. If you like us, give us a five star rating, or better yet, tell others about us. Tell your super short human peoples. Tell uh your farmer friends, uh tell your dentist tell your tell angels your, yeah tell your guardian angel Zuh. i don't even know do people have a bunch of them or just one uh why not why not both why not both uh each week we offer a piece of the episode to share with you the listener meaning that your contribution could become halloumian canon so it's uh it's time to decide what are we offering this week uh you sounded like you had a really good idea Yep, I think I think instead of doing the heavy lifting ourselves, we throw it to the <laughs> listener. So, I propose we give to the listener the question of, did Gaia die and was reborn, or did they, mm. like, become a seed and grew again? Or, like, you know, what's and, the stuff that's going on there? And why is it interesting? Because it's really easy to say one or the other, but, like, what's the story there? What what are the implications of that? Yeah, because you could give an interesting story of, like, the the maybe it's a new god or goddess or, you know, non-binary god, a neuter god. Maybe it is, mm-hmm. maybe it's not. Androgynous god, yeah. Yes. I'm using the, the noun term. Yeah, right. I should probably shift those from N to A in the DD reference. Yes. Man, that's... 
I, I like that. Yeah, that's that's all right. That's what we what we're offering. You guys get to decide whether uh, whether Gaia was reborn or died and or just woke back up again. And please send your responses to at the Lorekeepers on Twitter or email us at lorekeeperspodcast at gmail.com with your idea for this week's offering. Our Twitter is also a great place to find dank nugs, news, and musings on the world of Halume. And our email is perfect for questions of all sizes you'd like us to address. So finally, thanks to Josh Silker for his composition of Land of Heroes, uh, the Lorekeeper's theme, and thanks to you all for listening. Until next time, don't forget, there are always more tales to tell. Yeah. Oh, hey, before we go, uh, shout out to... Shout out to Waffle Doggo for uh, for asking us about um, yeah um, oh they asked us what would happen if uh, one of the gray folk of Orconis would uh, travel to the Alluvium and uh, I didn't give a super clear answer but I I am very curious about that idea and especially because it has to do with twined destinies so maybe we'll talk about that at some point I'd be yeah. really curious to explore that yeah you know, we should probably do an episode about twined destiny at some point yeah all right all right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, Have a good rest of your week, and we will talk to you in seven days. Bye. Bye.